All right. So I'm going to try and do like a, a short, little, short little thing tonight because I really want to get into the worship. Like we've been, we've been meeting together for, you know, since February now. And I just feel like the time is right for us to just have a night of just, man, let's just sing songs to Jesus. Let's just come into his presence and sing songs to him. But I wanted to share a little something. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. As I've been going around uh, these past couple of days, um, I've been noticing a lot of people are, like, representing uh, that covenant that God made with Noah, you know, where, you know, where he said he wasn't going to flood the earth anymore. And people are, you know, they raised up these flags uh, with, you know, the rainbow on it. And it's just awesome, like, how many people are returning to the word of God and just representing God, representing God and, and raising up these flags with rainbows on them. I'm just kidding. I know what those flags represent. I know. I know. Not naive. Um, but, yeah, in, in, in recognition of what's, been, of what's going on uh, this month, I just felt like, hey, man, let's, let's talk about it. Like, let's talk about what that sequence of colors actually represents. So we're going to go to Genesis. And um, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis. Hopefully I can get through this uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> but um, before, we, before we get into the word, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for bringing us all here. Thank you. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing that this, this many young people are choosing to be at church on a Friday night. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me, and that we would leave tonight different than how we came in. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to go to 13. And then we're going to skip to 17, but I'll let you know. All right, so Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind whom I created, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and the birds of the sky. For I regret that I made them. Noah, however found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Verse 17. Understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten. Gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. 
So, background. And, I mean, this isn't that far away from the beginning of the Bible. So in Genesis chapter 1, God, you know, creates everything. He creates the universe, everything that we see, and uh, creates Adam and Eve. And he puts them in a garden, and he tells them, you can eat of any tree in this garden except for one tree, and from one fruit from one tree, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? They eat from the tree. And with that, sin enters into the world. The book of Romans tells us that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. It also says that we all sin. So sin enters the world, things start to die, but everyone is, is, is becoming more sinful. They're basically passing on this genetic of sin, their sin genes. They're passing it down to Cain and Abel, Cain murders Abel, down to Seth, to everybody. Eventually, as it says here in Genesis 6, that at a certain point, like, the sin was just out of control. Like, people were wicked, according to the Bible. He saw that man's wickedness was widespread, and every scheme that they thought of was evil all the time. So it got bad. It got so bad that God decides that he's going to flood the earth, destroy everything, destroy everything that's on the earth, and start over. And God tells Noah, build an ark, build an ark and per, to, to preserve his family and the animal kingdom. You know, God, God was going to start over, so he told Adam, you know, take two of every kind of animal. And for some people, that sounds a little strange because it's like, how can he get two of every single animal onto this ark? Well, people that are much smarter than I am uh, have uh, concluded that what happened was, so let's, 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 let's take dogs, right? There are many breeds of dogs, right? You have uh, German Shepherds, you have Beagles, and you even have the useless ones like the Chihuahuas and the Poodles. And what's the, uh, what's the other useless one? The one that the, the girls used to carry in their bags? Um, what is it? Pum yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that sounds useless. Um, sorry if you have those kinds of dogs. I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, <laughs> like Ron Swanson said, if, 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 if it's... Uh, if it's under 15 pounds, it's basically a cat, and cats are useless. <laughs> That's not me. That's not me. Don't get mad at me. I didn't say that. I'm just quoting. But anyway, so you have all these breeds of dogs. But when God first created the world, there was the first dog, the first kind of dog that had every possible combination of genes so that as, um, as the dogs would you know, breed, you know, I mean, when you have kids, oh, you, know, you guys don't have kids, but when kids are, some of you do, when you have kids, like, each kid is different because each kid has different genes that is being expressed, like, outwardly. And so that's what happened. You had this, these top dogs, the, the, the first dog that had every single gene possible, and as they were breeding, different genes were more dominant in all of these puppies, and it kept going and going and going and going and going. So what these, what these people, is called, the, the, the organization is called Answers in Genesis. So what they, what they say is that the original dogs, that's what Noah brought onto the ark. The original cats, that's what Noah brought onto the ark. The original ape, I don't know, uh, that's what Noah brought onto the ark. And so that's how they were able to repopulate the earth with all these different breeds and kinds and stuff like that. 
So God tells Noah, you know, do this, and then, he, then, and then comes the flood, and then comes the flood. So let's read Genesis chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 13, and then we're going to skip ahead to 17. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all the clean animals, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and its female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky, in order to keep offspring alive on the face of the whole earth. Seven days from now, I will make it rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe off from the face of the earth every living thing I have made. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came and water covered the earth. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the waters of the flood. From the clean animals, unclean animals, birds, and every creature that crawls on the ground, two of each, male and female, entered the ark with Noah, just as God had commanded him. Seven days later, the waters of the flood came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the watery depths burst open. The floodgates of the sky were opened, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that same day, Noah, along with his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife, and his three sons' wives, entered the ark with him. Verse 17. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water surged and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Then the water surged even higher on the earth, and all the high mountains under the whole sky were covered. The mountains were covered as the water surged above them more than 20 feet. Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils. Everything on dry land died. He wiped out every living thing that was on the surface of the ground, from mankind to livestock, to creatures that crawl, to the birds of the sky, and they were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left, and those that were with him in the ark, and the water surged on the earth 150 days. So everyone who is supposed to be on the ark is on the ark, and then God opens up all the waters from you know, the springs, the rain, everything just coming down for 40 days and 40 nights, and the earth is flooding. And in the midst of the flood, uh, in the midst of the floodwaters coming down, all life on earth was extinguished. And this is the portion of the story. This is the portion of the story that highlights to us God's holiness, God's holiness and His justice. You know, we tend to think of God only as a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, a God of grace which he is. He is those things. But he is also a God of holiness and a God of justice. So Habakkuk 1.13 says that God's eyes are too pure to look at evil. And the sin of man had exploded on the earth to the point where it was just out of control. So God floods the earth. But the reason I say that this is one of those this is part of the story that highlights God's holiness to us is, this is a really hard thing to hear. It was for me when I first heard it. But, like, who do you think was on the earth when the earth was flooded, as far as humans? Like, it's, when we read, when we read this scripture, it just says that everyone on earth died. So it's kind of like a blanket statement. But think about who 
was on the earth when the, when the earth was flooded. You had probably a population that looked like this. You had adults and you had children. People of all ages were presumably on the earth when God flooded the earth and destroyed all of life. Now, that's, it's kind of a hard thing to hear because we don't want to think of God as like this monster, right? But the thing is, God is not a monster. Like, God is holy. God is holy. Evil cannot be in his presence. Sin cannot be in his presence. And this right here shows us how he deals with sin. He destroys it. So it's kind of a look into the future. When we stand before God, God is going to destroy sin at the final judgment. This tells us about God's holiness and about God's justice. So he flooded the earth. But that's also what makes the gospel so glorious. That's what makes the gospel so glorious because the people who died in the flood, we are no different from them. We are no different from these people who died in the flood. But here we are, here we stand, a few thousand years later, here we stand with an opportunity to be saved by God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Saved by the cross, God has given us that opportunity, even though we are worthy of the same exact punishment as those people who died in the flood. That's what makes the gospel so glorious. God's holiness and his justice is highlighted right here in a way that's a little scary. But God's grace is also highlighted in a way that's beyond glorious. Because if, if this is how he treats sin, but he's chosen not to treat us that way because of what Jesus did, man, that's amazing. Praise God. So God himself provided the ark to save these people from the flood, Noah and his family from the flood. And in the same way, God has provided an ark in the person of Jesus Christ for us to be saved from his judgment. So the flood hits, eventually the waters recede, the land becomes dry again, and God begins to tell Noah that he's never gonna flood the earth again, regardless of how wicked humanity becomes. So let's read about that in Genesis 9, verses eight through 17. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am that I am confirming my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature uh, that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark, I confirm my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by the waters of a flood. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow, a rainbow. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The rainbow will be in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have confirmed between me and every creature on earth. So the rainbow, it was a symbol. The rainbow is a symbol that God created to signify his promise that he made to never flood the earth again, 
to never judge the earth again in the form of a flood. There still is a judgment that is awaiting the earth that's going to come at the end of days. It's going to be a judgment by fire this time. You know, the Bible talks about us standing before God and, and he's in the judgment seat and those who stand before him still in their sins, they're going to be thrown into the fire, into the lake of fire. But for those who have Jesus Christ as their savior, for those who are born again, then they don't have to worry about that judgment. So that's what the rainbow was. The rainbow was a constant reminder also that humanity was at one point so fallen and so wicked that God had to destroy it all. That's another thing that, you, that we can think of when we see a rainbow. It's like, dang, at one point it got so bad that God is just like, all right, we need to start over. It's a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder that God is holy and just and sin cannot go unpunished. It's a constant reminder that sin cannot go unpunished. There, ha there has to be a punishment for sin. Thankfully for most of us that are in this room, Jesus Christ took that punishment for us. Jesus Christ did it for us, so we don't have to be punished for it. Amen. Amen. And it's a constant reminder that God is also merciful and that he chose to also preserve the human race. Like, God could have very easily just been like, man, y'all are a mess. Wipe all of you out. Start a whole new thing. But no, he didn't do that. He's, he, he, he saved Noah and his family to continue this work that he started with Adam and Eve. He continued it. That's, that's, that's God's mercy. He could have very easily, I mean, I don't know how many times you guys have ever started a project where you're just like, yeah, this isn't working out the way I thought it was. I'm just going to scrap the whole thing. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that with us. When we become a mess, he doesn't scrap the whole thing. He's like, all right, you know what? Let's get rid of the stuff that's messing you up, and I'm going to keep working on you. Philippians uh, chapter 1, God is faithful to perfect the work that he started. Amen. So that's what the rainbow represents. It has nothing to do with pride. And the only way that the rainbow is connected with pride is that the pride of man is what caused the need for the rainbow to signify that God isn't going to judge the earth with the flood again. It was the pride of man that, causes, that caused man to sin against God and become so wicked that God said, I need to flood this whole thing, and then let me, let me put that rainbow in the sky to, to say, hey, I'm never going to flood it again. That's how it's associated with pride. But it's not in a good way. And just so that it doesn't seem like I'm up here trying to, like, you know, bully a group of people. Um, I was talking to this young girl yesterday. I was uh, preaching for the high schoolers. And um, she came up to me, and she's like, I have a question to ask. And it's like, okay, so she's 13. She's like, so I'm, I'm a bisexual person. And, you know, I live, you know, with my grandparents who are Christians. Yeah, anyway, she, has, she had this whole question. But the thing that was like, you're 13, and you're telling me that you're a bisexual, which, sure, like, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that, that somebody has an attraction to the same sex. Like, we can't deny that. Like, some people, their sin manifests in that way. For, other, for, for, people, for someone like me, the way that my sin manifested itself in my life is that I was drinking, partying, having sex before marriage, doing drugs every so often, 
stealing, lying, you know, that's how sin manifested itself in me, and not showing honor to my parents. Like, basically all ten of the commandments, like, I knocked them out. Um, so sin manifests itself differently in everybody. And so this, this young lady, she came up to me and she told me that. And I was just telling her that, like, look, because most people, like, when they hear that, you're going to burn. You know, like, you're going to burn in hell. That's, like, like, that's the thing that people tend to focus on. A few weeks back, not a few weeks, maybe like a few months back, we went over some scripture where, and I think in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, you know, that we, we know that the thief, the liar, the drunkard, the homosexual, the, the adulterer will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? And people tend to focus on one of the items on that list when it says the homosexual. And that's all that they see. And I was telling this young girl, I was like, look, that's not the only one on the list. Everybody's on that list. But because I'm talking to you, that's on the list too. And so I was telling her, like, look, I'm not going to deny that you actually do have an attraction to women, to other girls, you being a girl. I'm not going to deny that. But I will tell you this. It's sin. It's sin before God. God sees that thing, and it's sin. It's a perversion of what he created in the same way that my alcoholic lifestyle was a perversion of what he created. In the same way that my fornicating lifestyle was a perversion of what he created. That doesn't mean that, okay, well, since it's all a perversion, then we're all okay. No, it means since it's all a perversion, we all need to repent. And we all need, to, we all need a savior. We all need forgiveness. And our hearts need to be changed. And so that's what I was telling her. And so for anybody in here, if there's anybody in here who's, who may be struggling with that, I mean, in light of the month that we're in and, and what's the, the, the main thing that everyone is focusing on right now, if, if there's anybody in here who's, like, struggling with that, like I said, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. But just let, me, let me share my testimony with you a little bit. So like I said, my lifestyle was, like, partying, drinking, sex, all that stuff, breaking all the commandments. When I first heard the gospel, like when I heard the gospel, like for real heard the gospel and it started to make sense, like the spirit of God was opening my eyes to understand what I was hearing, I was ha like having this conversation with God, like, okay, God, like I hear you. I got it. The way that I'm living is not right. However, I love this. Like, God, I love the way that I'm living. I love it. You know, sometimes you hear uh, testimonies of people who, the way that they come to Christ is, you know, like they hit rock bottom. You know, their alcoholism took them to rock bottom. Their drug addiction took them to rock bottom. Their, their, their fornicating lifestyle, they, they got an STD, and now they're, now they're going to die, and that's how they come to Christ. They hit rock bottom. For me, I didn't hit rock bottom. I was, like, at the peak. I was like, yes, this lifestyle is awesome. I love what I'm doing. But God... He, he, he spoke to me, said, no, that thing that you love so much, it's evil. It's sin. You need to repent. And it's like, all right, God, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I need to repent of this lifestyle. I love this lifestyle, though, so you're going to need to change me. You're going to need to change me. So in that, like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to turn away from this lifestyle. I will do my part, and 
all right, I'm not going to do those things anymore. Even though I really want to, I'm not going to do those things anymore. But I'm also going to pursue you. I'm also going to pursue you. And that's what it means to repent. Turn away from your old lifestyle and turn towards Jesus and seek him. And when, and when I did that, when God gave me the wisdom to do that, that's when God started changing my heart. That's when he started changing my mind. That's when, as I was seeking Jesus, I was like, man, I don't even want to do that anymore. Like, I don't even want to do that. Like, the girlfriend that I had, get away. Like, I don't want you anymore. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sin against God anymore. So I hope this is kind of an encouragement because I loved that lifestyle. I was fully accepting of my lifestyle, even though God said it was wrong. But when I heard God say that it was wrong, I was like, all right, I'm going to turn away from it, even though I really want it, and I'm going to follow you. In the same way, if you're in the lifestyle, if, if, if you consider yourself to have uh, homosexual tendencies, bisexual tendencies, whatever it is, whatever is associated with this pride, turn away from it. Like, just intellectually, God has told you that it is wrong, so just turn away from it. As much as you want to continue in it, just turn away from it and seek God and watch him change your mind. Watch him change your heart. That's it. You're not, you're not any more sinful than the next person. You're not any more fallen than the next person. You're just like everybody else who needs to repent of their sin, even though they really love that sin, and follow Jesus and let him change your mind. That's it. So I just want to encourage you with that. And I also want to leave you guys with the love of God. The love of God. God loves you so much. God loves all of us so much that he would send his son to die on a cross for our sins. We were all deserving the type of judgment that we read in Genesis. We're all deserving of that kind of judgment because our sin is disgusting. Our sin is disgusting in the sight of God. God hates our sin, but he loves us so much that he still chose to enter into this world and die on the cross for you. And he did this before you were even born, before you were even a twinkle in your parents' eyes, like God had already decided, I am going to enter this world and I'm going to die for these people. Before Adam and Eve even sinned against God, before they ate the fruit that God told them not to eat, Jesus already knew, I'm going to enter that world and I'm going to die for their sins and they're going to be born again if they believe in me. That's what Jesus said in John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is amazing. That is an amazing thing. So I want to invite the worship band to come up so we can start this night of worship. And like I said, if you guys feel so inclined, you want to stand up and you want to come up here, cool. If you want to go off to the side, and, you know, because you feel like you just need to bow before the Lord, cool. I will say this. Whatever you do, don't be a distraction. There are many churches out there where it's fair game and anything goes. That's not this kind of church. This is a church of order. The Bible, because the Bible says that God is a God of order, not of disorder. So as we get into these songs of worship, I just encourage you guys, raise your hands, you know, whatever. Just 
As long as it's orderly, it's not distracting. But let's worship. Let's worship tonight.